Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who just know their obsession with Frankenstein must have a genetic explanation. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the spooky of the movies that first inspired <laughs> our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 1998's Halloween Town. Friday on Disney, it's Halloween Town. Marty Cromwell's family can't be normal. Why? Because her grandmother's a witch. Totally. And she lives in Halloween Town, where it's Halloween all the time. Halloween is cool. Well, battling an evil shadow creature is just not normal. Oh, it's normal and vastly overrated. Find out more about Marty Cromwell's family's vastly strange powers. Powers? What powers? It's Disney Channel's original movie, Halloween Town. Friday at 9, 10, 8, 10 Central, right after Under Wraps, part of Zoop Weekends. Happy Halloween, everyone. Um, Halloween is this coming Monday. Unfortunately, Halloween is on a Monday this year, which is deeply problematic for all of us. Yeah. But Audrey, what are your plans for Halloween? There's a whole lot of talk and not a lot of action. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that always how it is, though? Everyone's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing yeah. for Halloween? And it's like everyone wants someone else to say, I'm having a party, come to my party. But nobody wants to have a party. Yeah. So it's like that. I mean, throwing a Halloween party is like just signing up for your apartment to get just like trashed even more than for a regular party with all the decorations and, you know, like the stretchy cobwebs and shit. Like that can spiral out of control very quickly. I mean, do you have any plans? Kind of. So my boyfriend Josh's birthday is on Friday of Halloween weekend. So so on Saturday, we're having a birthday party at his parents' house because they have way more room than we do. And it's going to be in the backyard. And it's like costume contest slash pumpkin carving contest <laughs> outdoors, which will be fun. And then I'm trying to decide. Les Mis is touring through Cleveland right now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, the other week we were coming home from a party and I was just like, I was drunk. Josh doesn't drink or do drugs in any way. And I was like queuing up the music on the way home to like keep morale high. And I put on my own on that list. <laughs> And then when it came on, I was like, you know, that meme of like the girl whispering in the guy's ear and like pointing. That was me explaining the entire context of On My Own, both within the context of the show and within like musical theater girl culture. When you haven't seen Les Mis in a long time, it's actually nearly impossible to explain the plot <laughs> of that show. There's a lot of threads. I will say yeah. that much. There's so many threads, so much is happening, and it's hard to remember why everything is happening and in what order. Well, it's because also the answer is a lot of it isn't happening for any particular reason. So yeah. We might go see it on Friday because there's $30 tickets like that are like way up in the like nosebleeds, if you will. So maybe that mm -hmm. our friend's having a party. We don't know what to do. Whatever your plans are this weekend, watch your drinks, stay safe, don't walk around alone in a costume, dudes with masks will be around, just, you know, 
keep the pepper spray handy even more than normal. Don't eat don't eat unwrapped candy and don't answer the phone. Don't answer the phone. <laughs> don't open the door. Don't try to escape. Okay, so before we get into Halloween Town, you know what time it is. It is time for a question for the culture. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. And I got one for you. Okay. As it is... It is Taylor Swift album release week, a.k.a. batten down the hatches. The Swifties are coming. (laughs) Okay. So what I've been noticing over the past few days, a few of my friends are like very intense Swifties and I am included in the chat. I'm starting to get really pissed off because... Not pissed off. <laughs> like, okay. annoyed, I guess. Okay. Because this woman is has made, like, a promotional um, collaboration, like, thing with, like, every major corporation. So, like, Spotify, TikTok, you know, Apple Music, like, every institution that has to do with music and entertainment and media she has like come up with some collaboration with uh-huh. over the past two weeks. And so my question for the culture is like, is over promotion real? <laughs> <laughs> like she is, in my view, she is over promoting this album. She doesn't have to promote it at all. She could just literally not promote it. That's and true. And still set records for things. She doesn't have to be doing all of this. And Mm -hmm. I think it ends up looking kind of like, not greedy, but kind of like, like cheap in a way. Like it cheapens her as a brand. It's kind of the equivalent of selling out in a way, even though clearly the woman is sold. beyond (laughs) that. The woman is sold. Why can't she just like be a grown up, release the music and move on? Like, I'm like tired of the games. You know what I mean? I'm tired of reading into shit. I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of (laughs) what does this mean? What does this mean? Why don't you just release an album like a normal person and be an artist and stop trying to like make a scavenger hunt every five minutes? Like, it's annoying. Well, it's like... It's like fan service at this point because, like, what would the Swifties do if it was straightforward? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, like, think about other things in their lives. Maybe Maybe look around at the world. Like, (laughs) and, like, this coming from somebody who enjoys all of her albums and all of her music. Mm -hmm. Why don't, why doesn't she just do that, though? (laughs) Like, oh. It's interesting, too, because I feel like with Folklore and Evermore, she, like, didn't do that. Right. And it was like so pleasant and I really, it felt like a lot of character growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like not writing in a diaristic style, just dropping albums that were had some new sounds to them and like. Yeah. It was like cool. It was fun. <laughs> and now we're like back to square one. Yeah. It is what it is. And that's that. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So we kind of have an answer, but not really. Anyway, should we talk about Halloween Town now? (laughs) Yes. Okay. So Halloween Town premiered on the Disney Channel on October 17th, 1998. And this movie was not rated because it was on TV. Parents say that it's appropriate for ages eight and up. Kids say age seven and up. 
Huge bone of contention there. Um, it was directed by Dwayne Dunham. He directed Now You See It, The 13th Year, Double Teamed, Seventh Heaven. And he also directed four episodes of Twin Peaks. And then, very interesting pivot, he was an editor for a long time. He edited David Lynch's Blue Velvet. He also edited Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, and then was an assistant editor or additional editor on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Dragon Slayer, and Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, just as a little sampling. So the editor-to-director pipeline we appreciate on this podcast. Story was written by Paul Birnbaum. He wrote on the 80s 21 Jump Street series, Deadly Games, and then he gets character credit for all of the Halloween Town spinoffs, but he didn't write them directly. And then the teleplay was written by John Cooksey and Allie Marie Matheson, and they were married at the time. They're no longer married, but Allie was a writer on The Collector, Rugrats, and a lot of Rugrats. And then John was a producer on Narco Leap, The Killjoys, Arctic Air, The Collector, and a lot of Rugrats, <laughs> like all of the Rugrats stuff. And then he was a writer for basically everything that Ali was on. So now into these synopses. I'm going to read the IMDb one because it's really long and I want to spare Audrey from this fate. Marnie Dillon and Sophie Piper have their first out of many adventures. On Halloween, while Marnie is arguing with her mother, Gwen, the kid's grandmother, Aggie, comes to visit. Aggie wants to start Marnie's witch training before her 13th birthday or Marnie will lose her powers forever. But there is another reason for Aggie's visit. Something dark and evil is growing in Halloween Town and Aggie wants help to defeat it. While while Aggie and Gwen are arguing, Aggie uses magic, which Marnie observes. Marnie, Dylan, and Sophie race to get the ingredients to activate Merlin's wand to stop the evil. Letterbox synopsis. On her 13th birthday, Marnie learns she's a witch, discovers a secret portal, and is transported to Halloween Town, a magical place where ghosts and ghouls, witches and werewolves, live apart from the human world. But she soon finds herself battling wicked warlocks, evil curses, and endless surprises. Ooh, that one's good. And then Rotten Tomatoes. After learning she is a witch, a girl helps save a town full of other supernatural creatures. Literally, that's all you need. That is all yeah. it is. Like, I don't know why I was reading like a novella in that first synopsis, but I was. Taglines, there are none. I'm assuming you looked at the posters. Yes, I looked up the posters and there were none. And I feel like that's cosmic retribution for Scream having 13. Cast. Another full cast of white people for you. Mm -hmm. Debbie Reynolds, Aggie Cromwell. Kind of a sweet name. Yeah. She is best known for Singing in the Rain, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, the old one, like the first version of it. Behind the Candelabra, I started hey. just writing other things. Because, uh -huh. like, the, her her most known for films are not ones that most people our age would know. Yeah. So I put Behind the Candelabra, and she's the voice of the granny, the grandma possible in Kim Possible. And she's just very iconic and was known for a lot of films throughout the 50s and 60s. Kimberly J. Brown plays Marnie Piper, um, she is most known for Halloween Town, all three of them, Bringing Down the House and Tumbleweeds. These are like other movies from around the same time. Mm -hmm. She still acts to this day, but she's not popping off <laughs> by any means. 
Hunter and I the other day were talking about how she basically posts the same TikToks every year around Halloween. (laughs) Because she's actually, she's like engaged to someone or married to someone from the Halloween Town films, but I forget who it is. It's not like oh. the brother. I think it's some, it's somebody from like the brother. A later movie. Imagine if it was the brother. <laughs> it could be. It's not like they're related. <laughs> Judith Hogue plays the mother, Gwen Cromwell Piper. She's best known for Armageddon, the 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and has done a spot on literally every TV show ever. And then mm-hmm. Joey Zimmerman plays Dylan Piper, the little brother. He's most known for Halloween Town and then a bunch of like indie looking movies. Okay. <laughs> and I mean very indie. Not like yeah. indie like Ladybird, indie like you have never, ever, ever seen this. <laughs> Emily Roski played Sophie Piper, the little sister. She's known for Halloween Town movies and she basically was in one other thing, stopped acting in 2004. Good for her. And then Robin Thomas plays Calabar. Okay, the things that I wrote down for him are not even close to what he's known for, but I just thought it was funny. Okay. Um, I wrote down that he's been in episodes of Queer as Folk, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Fuller House, and Switched at Birth. Um, He's definitely best known for Switched at Birth. There's no question in my mind. I started watching Switched at Birth like a few months ago. It's actually so good. I I cannot believe how good that show is. Like you would think that it would be boring as hell because like there's like six seasons of that show. What are they, what could possibly be going down? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it is fucking juicy. That show is good. Well, that's kind of like um, Secret Life. Like how long could it be about Shailene yeah. Woodley being pregnant. Budget. This movie cost $4 million to make, according to the internet. Who knows if that's actually accurate? The opening weekend did not apply. Worldwide gross does not apply. I tried. I legitimately searched for TV ratings when it first came out and like DVD sales. And there was a shocking lack of information. Like I was really scouring and I could not find anything. So I don't know, but clearly it was successful because there were three sequels after this first one. But of course the last one was very controversial because they randomly recast Marnie as our girl Sarah Paxton, (laughs) AKA Aquamarine. They do both have a butt chin though. There's that. Yeah, it was just wrong. Like, it's Sarah, Sarah Paxson's not right for it. Okay, so now into the critic and audience opinions. So the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes is 80%, and the average letterbox star rating was 3.2, which seems really high, but that's what it was. Interestingly, though, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes was only made up of a average of five interviews, because only five critics have reviewed this movie. So... That's just something to keep in mind, especially because audience reviews had over 25,000. But here are a few things that the critics did say. Three of the five critics. One of them said, It's watchable, though the action is packed with bits and pieces from genre milestones such as Bewitched and Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, so it feels rather familiar. And then someone else said, It captures the spirit of a holiday designed for kids. It's sweet and fun, but too much could definitely give you a stomach ache. And then lastly, Debbie Reynolds is, of course, wonderful. Okay, so Common Sense Media gave it three out of five stars. (laughs) 
and said, tween brew, witchy fun, a pinch of fright. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, families can talk about how the Cromwell family grows closer together as the movie progresses and why. Why did the mom want to shield her kids from their magical heritage and <laughs> special powers? Why did the main character argue with her mom and break her mom's rules? What makes the evil warlock a bad guy? Yeah. I really like that question. It's like, is it not obvious? <laughs> he's evil? Like, he's very clearly <laughs> evil. Audience score, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then we have four little <laughs> opinions here. 3.5 stars on Rotten Tomatoes. Is Halloween Town a good movie? No, not really. However, it is a fun Halloween-centric film that passes the time for the holidays. You could do a lot worse than this movie. Plus, I saw it when I was a kid, and it still brings me a wave of nostalgia. Two stars on Rotten Tomatoes. Wanted to like this movie. Watched in 2020 because it was a childhood favorite of my wife's. As a lover of all movies, all genres, <laughs> what, and eras, from campy to B-movies and worse, big budget to made-for-TV, sadly, I found this movie to be quite awful. The plot barely existed or progressed. Characters were stale beyond their same two repeated lines. The villain was barely present. The main heroine did nothing. Better to just watch four episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch for a more worthwhile experience. Um, 2.5 stars on Letterboxd. Very camp, but this movie was ass. Way more than I remembered. Sophie was the only good part of the movie because Marnie's acting was so bad. Hey, chocolate bar instead of Calabar. Who wrote that? <laughs> And then 2.5 stars on Letterboxd. Scary. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Step into my classroom because for cultural context, I have a very succinct history of Halloween. Audrey, do you know anything about how Halloween came to be? I kind of do. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we can add some like ye old music in the background of this or something. But I just thought that this was interesting. Here's where it all began. Ancient Celts 2,000 years ago were marking the passing from summer into fall. And they believed that during this like festival they would have that ghosts would return to earth and that they... The Celts <laughs> needed disguises and costumes to confuse the ghosts and avoid being haunted. And then it became All Saints Day later on, historically. Um, and the Middle English word for All Saints Day sounded like Halloween. So then it became All Hallows' Eve. And now here we are. It went from Hallow's Eve to Halloween. Um, it was celebrated in Europe for hundreds of years, but slow to catch on in America because the pilgrims were like Puritans and very religious and like Salem witch trial vibes, etc. They were not into it. Then colonials started having harvest slash end of season festivals, which was festive, but not quite Halloween. But then... Get ready, because the potato famine happened in the mid-1800s. So all these Irish people came to America, and they were celebrating Halloween in a more recognizable way that we do now. So they brought jack-o'-lanterns to America based off this piece of folklore that was like very central to their celebration of Halloween. Fun fact, trick-or-treating comes from England. They had this thing kids would do called souling where kids would go door to door and offer to pray for the people in the house in exchange for small cakes. 
So they would shell out the small cakes in exchange for prayers. Guess what else happens next? The Great Depression, which prevented people from giving out candy. So instead of it being trick-or-treating in terms of getting candy, it was kids like vandalizing things and like getting up to hijinks because that's all they had to do. So once sugar rationing from World War II ended, then everyone just went crazy. And here we are now just going bananas for Halloween. And the main thing that launched it from obscurity kind of in America is that, of course, capitalism, marketing people were like, this is a huge opportunity. So in current day America, Americans spend $10 billion on Halloween annually, $3 billion on candy, and $7 billion on costumes and decorations. So Halloween is a multi-billion dollar industry. And I mean, so is every holiday. Oh, I'm sure Christmas is worse. When did we first watch What Do We Remember? I think I saw this movie one time before yesterday. Yeah, which is a little surprising, I guess. A lot of people would probably think we would have been into this one. But I wasn't. I think I had some, like, preconceived notion that it was somehow a boy movie, even though the protagonist is a girl. Like, I just was like... Anything scary or monster, even somewhat monster related. This movie's not scary, but not at all. I probably perceived it that way. So I, I didn't watch it until probably like five years ago, something like that. And I, I've watched it like every year since. Okay, so that was kind of an underwhelming answer to what do we remember and when did we first see it? But that's our truth. Um, so if you want to watch this movie, it's on Disney Plus. We'll be right back on Disney Channel. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Okay, everyone, welcome back. Uh, step on to the Halloween Town Express bus and delve into uh, our experience of this film <laughs> with us. Wow. I'm trying really hard to not just say, welcome back and it's yeah, time to unpack I know. our experience. Blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to spice yeah. it up. Audrey, are you ready for your pop quiz? Honestly, no, but I'm, I'm scared. Okay, I think... These kind, eh, okay, let's just see how it goes. Okay, first question. Magic is really very simple. All you've got to do is blank and let yourself blank. I mean, I know what the sentiment is. Also, why are you not giving me choices? That's the whole point. 
Because I'm switching up the format no, on you. No, that's what we do. Is you, if you know girl, the answer, you girl, say the answer. Girl. If you want the choices, you say you want the choices. That's what we do. Magic is really very simple. All you've got to do is want something have and it. let yourself yeah, have it. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, that part yeah. you got. That part you got. Next question. What do the buttons on Aggie's microwave say? No clue. The buttons <laughs> said bubble, <laughs> toil, and trouble. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Lastly, and this one I thought was the hardest one. So that bodes well. What does Aggie say when she dumps her bag of candy on the bed and Sophie yells, candy? No idea. (laughs) This line stuck out to me as being really weird. Oh, yes. We should put on our bikinis and go swimming in it. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. I was like, bikinis. Hello? (laughs) Better luck next time. I was not paying attention while I was watching this. Let's start with our good things, I suppose. I have more good things than anything else, though. You know you're going to be in for a good ride when the opening credits um, are rocking really low-res fonts. I'm talking like that shit was stretched out to fit. You can see the pixels. Um, That's when I know I need to buckle my seatbelt for something interesting and entertaining. Um, And also in the opening credits, I was really happy to see that Mark Mothersbaugh was the composer for the movie. He was in Devo. Um, He actually went to Kent State, which is where our mom went, where a bunch of our family went. But he also, he's composed for like everything. So like Thor Ragnarok, the Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore, Rugrats. It's like literally everything, including the Carrie Diaries. (laughs) Um... But it goes back and back and back, and he's really, really cool, and he makes really interesting music. So I was happy to see him. Okay, I have a really stupid take. This is what I texted Audrey about, or I said, I have a stupid take. But I feel like this movie could be like a gay allegory very easily. The reason why I'm saying it, though, is because it's very like, I'm not like other people, and then some like aged sage shows up and is like, you're a freak, but I know where all the freaks are. And then you go to Halloween town and everyone is is very like over the top, fabulous, like gremlin with like a head four times the size of their body. There's just something about it. Also just like gay people and Halloween in general are so bound that it just felt like it could be reinterpreted through a queer lens like very like easily and would it be ridiculous yes but this movie is also ridiculous so it fits to me did you get the sense that this movie despite the odds might have influenced harry potter it's like specifically like the bus reminded me a lot of the night bus in the third harry potter And there were just like other things about this movie. And maybe I just have Harry Potter on the brain because when we were on vacation, we watched it. But like the bus and then also the ending when Calabar's like, join me. And everyone's just kind of like standing around like, yeah. I Um, feel like it's just derivative of like so because like Halloween Town's also really derivative. So like I feel like they're all just derivatives of other things. I don't think that Halloween Town inspired Harry Potter movies at, in any way. You don't think there's any chance of that? Like, because it just looks so bad. Okay, I love that it looks bad. Okay, let me see. Do you not have any good things written down? 
No, I do. The mom reminds me of Jodie Benson because they do look alike. And <laughs> Jodie Benson is the voice of Ariel, if you don't know. I was trying to place why she looked so familiar, and I think that that's it. Yeah. I liked the line, the weirdo encyclopedia. <laughs> I thought Debbie's makeup was actually really good. Like, she had yeah. on, she had, like, a thick lash, like, some really well-defined eyeliner like I liked the I liked what they chose to do for her (laughs) I took a picture of it there's this one shot something that is so weird about this movie is that they chose to not finish the bodies of the monsters like a lot of them so they would have on Mm -hmm. a monster head and then have completely normal arms (laughs) yeah and there's this one shot of this like monster in the gym (laughs) where he's like curling dumbbells but his arms are completely regular but he has the dumbest looking mask on (laughs) and I took a picture of it I will insert it because it is just (laughs) insane I feel like this movie is a testament to practical effects for better or for worse I think that all the makeup and masks are so creative and so funny like I love what they add to the tone of it just being like everyone is paper mache like I just appreciate that about it I don't I mean I like practical effects I just think they're like weirdly unfinished in places where they could have finished them really easily like you can finish hands that's not hard to do like just finish their body And then some of them were just, like, so creepy. Like, the guy who sells brooms was so deeply disturbing. (laughs) I know. He was disturbing. I was like, why is it like this? That's a good point. The person cutting hair, deeply disturbing. Um, I was like, is he gay? Is he gay? Is he gay? Is he gay? But he definitely was just... Okay, but... (laughs) I feel like in my mind, like, the level of gay it has to hit to be gay is the guy, is the bend and snap guy from Legally Blonde. (laughs) I loved him, but he was scary also. Yeah, there's like a a bit of Uncanny Valley. I was just about to say, how much does this movie appeal to your fear of mascots? (laughs) Not much. (laughs) Actually, not much because the heads aren't big. Maybe it's because their arms are exposed. It's less scary also. Yeah, yeah. If I can, like, see any part of the person, then I feel like it's immediately not scary. I want all of those masks on, like, a shelf in my living room as decor. Like, they're such interesting standalone pieces of art, in my opinion. (laughs) I think it's funny that there's always a Cleveland joke in things. Oh, my God. always one. And there not wasn't this only, Not only was it a Cleveland joke, but it was an undereducated Cleveland joke because he's like, I heard the school systems are good. I'm like, do no. you know that the Cleveland public school system is actively a mess? I feel that that part of the line was not supposed to be a joke at Cleveland's expense. Well, they don't know... They don't know what they're saying enough for it to be a joke at Cleveland's expense. Yeah, I think that the naming Cleveland is always a joke. Like, that happens in so many movies. That's in The Luck of the Irish. There's so many Cleveland jokes in The Luck of the Irish because the whole thing is that um, the kid, it's like this white kid, and he's trying to get his parents to tell him where they're from, meaning like, and 
their ancestry, like what country they're from. And he's like, dad, why won't you tell me where we're from? And he goes, I told you we're from Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, They also made, they made a Cleveland joke on succession the other day. I was like, damn. They're everywhere. They always have been. I know. The second that I heard the mayor before he was revealed as Calabar be like, your mom's here. I was like, okay, they're going to date. They're going to date. Just from the way that he said it, I was like, there's something there. But I will say the only way I can describe it is that my wig was a bit snatched by Calabar and the mayor being the same person. I actually did not expect that. The part in the theater, it's actually kind of I was just about to talk about that too. Yeah. I... It was kind of scary, but it was also so weird. Everything about it was so weird. And I was like, okay, I don't know if you remember this or not, but just let me me get my story straight here. So Calabar was just vibing in the movie theater. Like that's just where he lived, like where his like headquarters was. I feel like yes, because he was like babysitting all of his like petrified minions. But to me, it gave me the feeling of like, When you're playing a video game and you're like fighting a big scary person and then you die and you have to restart and you have to run back to where they are. That's what I felt like about Calabar in that movie theater. I was like, is this just where he lives? Like, I just, I had questions about that. But I thought the whole like wind blowing and like all of the, the drama of it all was pretty funny. The exposition, though, is so intense right there because they get petrified and then Debbie Reynolds is like, we're not dying, we're just frozen, go! (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I was like, like, could you not just, like, let us think they could be in actual danger for, like, 10 minutes? Like, they couldn't even do that. That's a classic example of, like, when we see a movie and they're like, it doesn't talk down to kids. That was, like, a talking down to kids moment for sure. Yeah, I'm like, you can let the kids think that they could be in danger for 10 minutes. It's actually, it's okay. Why is there a love interest? We've asked this five trillion times. It doesn't need to be there. It's, like, not even there. Like, it's hardly there. No, it's not there, which is why it's like, why not just cut it? I don't get it. People were shitting on the actors for being bad, the child actors, but I thought they were good. Yeah, I think they're pretty good. I liked the part where the brother said to Marnie, would you get a grip? I thought that was Yeah. Funny. Yeah, he was he was endearing. I liked him. He's He and the skeleton taxi driver are the only men who don't pose a problem <laughs> to this yeah. world. Wait, the lady who, like, is, like, the secretary in um, the mayor's office is so... The pin cushion? Yeah. She, like, I know, she walks in and she's just like, ooh. So weird. Yeah, I enjoyed her, though. It kind of reminded me of, like, Alice in Wonderland or, like, The Wizard of Oz just in the sense of, like... We're going to come in t- contact with a lot of like zany characters and this is most of the story. And I was down. Some vignettes. Yeah. I'll take them. You know what else is confusing though? So the whole time they're posing like, or like they're making it seem as though only girls can be 
magical or like only the girls of the Cromwell family could Uh be witches. Yes. And then, you know, the brother doesn't believe in the whole thing. So he doesn't have powers. But I also was under the impression that he couldn't have powers. And that's kind of what they're saying. Like she keeps putting him down and stuff. And then at the end, he like gets so mad or whatever that like some like magic comes out of his little fingies. And then... I know. And then Marnie's like, wait, my brother is also a warlock or whatever. Oh my God. And then... Maybe he's trans. Like, but it is weird because like... Is it a queer allegory? Stop. No. (laughs) There are male... magical people in the world but for some reason they make it seem like he can't be magical unless he believes in it like he has to like put some some oomph behind it in order to successfully use his magic I don't know I it I doesn't make sense felt a little annoyed by that I was like can this just not be like a matriarchal hereditary thing like does it have yeah. to be this kid too even though I did like him I thought that was a little disappointing but again it just backs up my argument <laughs> my queer interpretation of Halloween town <laughs> It was like I was watching it. It was the, the thing that made me even go there is like near the beginning where when grandma has to leave and they like show Marnie just like so sad. I was like, oh, it's like her opportunity to be with her people is being stripped yeah. away from her by her mom. OK, I feel like I have a good question for the culture part two for us to wrap this up on. I'm, I mean, I don't think this is really that new of a take, but, like, as I was watching the movie, I was just thinking about, like, how much, like, cognitive dissonance there is as Americans that our country is, like, so precious about so many things. There's a lot of violence in our everyday lives, like school shootings, etc., and they're really bad and disturbing things, obviously, but people don't, like— there isn't a whole lot of like systemic change going to to really impact any of these things. I don't know how this connects to the fact that I think it's really strange that we celebrate Halloween with like haunted houses and like fake blood and like fake murder and all this stuff. I guess it's just like for a country that is like so convinced that we're like on the moral high ground or that we, you know, it's like people can't even get abortions. Like that's how, that's how convinced we are that we need to be like borderline puritanical to some extent. It's just strange that we have both. Do you know what I mean? Like Halloween lines, the pockets of capitalists, you know, they don't care what it stands for. Like that's where the idea, like the ideologies clash and it doesn't matter because the same people are getting rich on both ends. I guess. And maybe this is related and maybe it's not. Like, I just think it's so bizarre that there is like this whole holiday dedicated to like primal catharsis and like gore and like literal murder and abduction and psychological torture and more and more and more. And like, yes, is it for kids primarily, but there's also like this huge adult demographic for Halloween. And Wait, but since when is Halloween about... Halloween itself isn't really about like gore. Well, no, no, no. It's it's not, but it's like... 
okay, think of like spooky skeletons or like zombies. It's like, that is about death though. And this is like, like America doesn't want to like reckon with death in general. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is true that like, because American, um, because America is so full of different, like there is no one culture that we can all draw off of. There's like nothing that... Like, especially the super bland white people such as us have that, like, that, like, is honoring of heritage. Like, we're so, like, cut off from all of that. Yeah. Um, that yeah. it's, like, just, it's literally just so super, um, so surface level. Like, yeah. Getting candy, putting on a costume, eating food. Like, yeah. It's, like, actually insane how. We, like, have no heritage. Well, we do. (laughs) It's just so fucked up. (laughs) um, No, it is. It is. It is. That's totally true. But it's just Just nothing that... It's nothing that you would honor or claim in any way. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we have deep... Way back, we have heritage from other... From another place or more, like, other countries. It's so far gone. Like, our existence is has been dictated also by capitalism in terms of uh, our great-grandparents moving to Ohio because of, like, the rubber boom mm-hmm. and, like, industry jobs. So, like, yeah. that's why some of them came from, like, Canada. Like, they were in Europe and then Canada and then Ohio. Mm-hmm. What I would do <laughs> to get that Canadian <laughs> residence. No, back. literally, like, our dad's grandma or grandparents yeah our dad's grandma knew french and look how the mighty have fallen yeah i was like okay but i guess we do have the hyper capitalist halloween as our heritage to a decent (laughs) extent we're living in halloween town baby i liked halloween town i thought it it was very I thought it was very entertaining. I feel like it would have been a really good TV series. It's charming. It's better than Twitches by a lot. Yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. It's way better written than Twitches also. And like, even though it's super DIY, like the world is pretty fleshed out for a decom. So like, yeah. I'll give them that. Again, I was thinking about Twitches too, because I was thinking about the darkness. And yeah. I was like, this is... So much better looking, even if it is really goofy. Like, I would rather have it be this and clearly, like, the handiwork of, like, craftspeople than, like, a shitty CGI cloud. Which is also the work of craftspeople. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. (laughs) We're taking it back. (laughs) It's not a shitty CGI cloud. Well, it may be a shitty CGI cloud, but they probably had to make it in, like, 12 hours or something. So. (laughs) They probably had a lot of time, to be honest. (laughs) You think so? Yeah. Back then, timelines would have been really long. Back in like 05, they had their time. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm sorry. So happy Halloween, everyone. Again, we hope you have a really fun and safe weekend. Where can they find more from us? You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects, aka Full Out Inside Ohio Show Choir, which is still actively on our website at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. 
And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And I also wanted to say that this is the last episode for this season where we will have uh, Josh's Halloween theme song. So shout out to Josh again for making the Halloween version of this theme song. It's so cool and we love it. Anyway, you can join our Discord server to chat with us 24-7 at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcast.com. Our merch is also still on sale. You can find that on our website. And if you really, really, really love us, you could leave a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And then lastly, Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. The show is produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. The show is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. And our executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Happy Halloween! I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.